It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L.D. Azobra. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Today we we got got a living legend who have given so much to his people, to the great community of North Baton Rouge. You know, we love coming to North Baton Rouge because a lot of great things happen and still happen in North Baton Rouge. But this young man have contributed so much of his time, his life, his efforts in keeping the community, keeping the unity in this community. And we appreciate it for that. We have here today, I'm going to have to say Dr. Henry Allen, one of the former justices of the state justice of peace here in North Baton Rouge. Welcome to Counter. Thank you, sir. Oh, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us to come in your home today and your lovely daughter, Wanda, uh, for being here and being so accommodating. But we just want to sit here and, and be able to dig, I don't know how to say it, how the old folks say that, dub deep into, into some, some history, <clears throat> time passed. Because right now, how old are you? 93. 93. Now, yeah. you got, now, now, now how, how that adds up? What year? What, what month? Uh, January fifth, nineteen ninety-three. January fifth. January fifth. Somebody, somebody else here was born on January fifth. Me and her, we twins. <laughs> Joyce, Joyce Jackson, and I are twins. <laughs> we have our birthday on the same day, regardless of where she may be. But we she talk. Look, she looked good for ninety-three. Oh, she looks very good. Yeah, she's a little young, 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 young ninety-three year old. <laughs> she looks good for ninety-three. So we, we yes, that. In mm-hmm. so January, so that means you're a Capricorn. A Capricorn. That means, that means you're a leader. A leader, very good. A good person. I put it that way. And a little stubborn. Well, well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. But determined, though. Determined. And that's what do. you've been doing this community. That's, that's what I've been doing for years. Yes, I can start back. I can give you some years from 1974 on up to now, from 1944 until 19. Uh, 1993. Uh, that mind is still sharp. Still as a tag. As a tag. At some areas. <laughs> some areas. Yes. <laughs> some areas. <laughs> and, you, and you have a lovely wife. Uh, Armor. Armor Lee. Armor Stewart Allen. Armor Stewart. Armor Stewart. Lee Stewart Allen. Now, now where, yeah. where is Miss Armor? Well, right now she's in in uh, Magnolia Brooks Memory Care area right now. Oh, okay. But okay. she's okay. still doing fine. But she's there. Now, now where did she grow up at? She grew up right in East Baton uh, ba- Port Hudson, East Baton Rouge Parish, Port oh, okay. Hudson, Louisiana. Right, so now where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, East Baton Rouge Parish as well, but you couldn't call it Zachary, Louisiana. Oh, so, it was, so you grew up in the Zachary? I grew up in the so, Zachary. So you've been in North Louisiana all I've been in North Baton Rouge all of my life. Yeah, Baton Rouge all of my life. Yeah, right in Baton Rouge area. Okay, now, now how many children? I got only one one little baby girl. A baby girl? That's yeah. A, that's a grown, that's, that's a grown <laughs> woman. <laughs> that's my only baby. That's your only baby. Now, what's and her name? Wanda... Alan Nesbitt. Nesbitt, no, that my good. He's still okay. Yeah. So that, so we got your baby here with. Welcome from here. Yeah. Welcome here, Miss Wanda Nesbitt. Alan, Alan no, Nesbitt. And, <clears throat> and she is from Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska. Yes, All she right lives then. in Nebraska. All right, then. So now, you, this is your home area, North Louisiana, North Baton Rouge. Right. Yes. And you've been here. You saw. You've seen a lot of growth, development, ups and downs. And that, you know, I interviewed Dr. Press Robinson uh, s- several months ago, and he gave us some. And he's not even from the Baton Rouge area, but he mm-hmm. gave us a lot of 
great history, a lot of great stories. As a young boy, let's give a little history about the school you just went to and where you grew up at in okay. Zachary. Good. Yes, well, I went to St. John Magnolia School. That's a... Uh, ain't never I heard of that. Nobody never heard of the school. <laughs> it was between... And the reason why it was named St. John Magnolia School because there was a church in Alson, Louisiana, about 10 miles up the highway. And then there was another church, Magnolia Baptist Church, up around the Heck Young Lane. And so they Heck built... Young. Yeah, Heck Young. That's oh, up yeah. Scenic Highway. And the reason why they named the school because between the, the, the two churches... St. John was in Alston, Magnolia was part of Zachary. Okay. So they named the school in the middle of those two churches with St. John Magnolia, I mean, you know, um, St. John Magnolia School. So that's why I went to elementary school. It was one of them one-house schools? No, it was, one no school? that was a, we had a two-room school. Right. Ms. Annabelle Knox was the principal and was the teacher on the high school from the fourth grade up to the sixth, eighth grade, sixth, seventh grade. And then Ms. Rich, L.B. Richardson, which was our elementary school teacher. She taught from third grade to fourth grade. Then after that, then at that particular school, we had parents, we had a kitchen that we did have eating at certain times. And then the parents in the neighborhood who came out to the school to cook for the children at school yeah, to feed. The, the parents, we didn't have a custodian all like they got now. But the parents would come out there and cook dinner for the children at school, feed them every day at 12 o'clock. At that time, that was back in 1940, in the 40s. I won't give you a date now, but it was in the 40s. So the community was truly, community involved, was truly involved in your, in your, in your and, education. And my education, because we, we had a, a big wood stove in, the, in, the, in, the, in both classrooms. And all this time that we got heat, when the men of the community would cut wood, and bring out there for the heater and the stove. And we little small children like me, at the age of uh, six, seven, and eight, we, we couldn't go into school until they got the heater going. Then when the heater got hot, then they would let us come into school in the classroom where the heaters were. But now y'all standing outside the cold? We had to stand, we had to get somewhere <laughs> together as, as a group to keep warm. To keep warm until, but the parents used to come earlier before the children got there and start the heater to going. Then after the heater got warmed up, then the little children can come on inside the school. So you saw your community every day. I saw my community every day and still see it sometime now when I pass there. Although everything is gone, the school is towed down. They build a joint there and the joint is towed down. So nothing is there now but the spot. And that was back at night. But that, that is amazing. I, I've never heard any a story like that where... Okay. You know, where the community literally came out every day. Every day, the community, so, so, so your mama and dad didn't have to worry about you because they had to be there too. Well, they had to come, yeah. They <laughs> had to come and everybody, the everybody, in the, everybody in the community would participate. They're, all of them wouldn't come the uh, same day. Uh, about how many students y'all had there? Oh, we had, we had about uh, maybe 40, 40, about 35 or 40 students at the time. Because we had the first, you know, we had the first through, through fourth grade and then fourth through uh, eighth grade. That's why I finished my little high school, my little elementary school. So, so high there. school went to eighth grade at the time. Went to eighth grade at that time. So that was high school. Well, well, we, well we went to seventh grade. Eighth school, yeah, eighth, eighth grade. Then we had to go somewhere else to a high school. Like okay. we went to, but we had to go to go to Zachary. Uh, well, you know, one school was there that's on the other end of town. They had to go to Zachary, Zachary High School to, for, you know, for the education. They came from Port Arthur and went to Zachary. And then we, who was on this side, then we try had to go to McKinley because that was, Southern University was the only high school we had back at that time. 
That was back in the 40s. That, that was Southern... Southern University of McKinley. But it was Southern, what it was? Uh, lab school, lab. Southern Lab. Now, the only way you got to Southern, I'm saying this before an LSU uh, uh, leader, the only way you got to Southern University, the lab school, either your parents or some of your people had to be working at Southern University. If they, if you, they didn't work there, you could finish at Magnolia, any of these other little elementary schools, that's the only one there. But you couldn't go to Southern University Lab School at eighth grade because your parents didn't work there. Nobody did. We had to wait and go to McKinley downtown. So that's what we had to do, come from so, Allison. So you had to go, uh, now that back then, transportation that was not as was convenient. Not as, not as convenient, near as convenient. Well, you either catch a ride to Scotlandville, right there in Scotlandville. Okay. And James, James uh, Franklin had buses that was running downtown, and we had uh, same school buses would run, James Harris and them would run a school bus every day from Scotlandville to McKinley, down through town, down through Baton Rouge, and on to McKinley. And if you didn't get from Allison, I lived in Allison, Louisiana, right up the road, another eight miles up. If you couldn't catch a ride from Allison to Scotlandville before the bus left, you were stood up for the rest of the weekday. You couldn't go to school if you couldn't catch a ride otherwise. So, okay, now Scotlandville was the, the pick up and drop pick off up place. and drop off place. So, no matter where you lived, that outside of Scotlandville, Scotlandville. you had to figure out how to get how there. to get to well, get well, to Scotlandville. Well, how did y'all get back and forth? Well, to we had thumbs. We would th <laughs> so <laughs> we would, thumbing we would have to thumb had to hitchhike, and that's at a young age. We had you to had try to hitchhike it back yes, then. Yes, sir. You had to catch a ride. Anybody would pick you up, white or black. We had to catch a ride to Scotlandville right in front of Drago's Store. Drago's Store was on the corner, Swan Street, and Scenic Highway. If you catch a ride and come out there, and James Harrison, and when that bus come make the round through Scotlandville, it would park right out in front of Willie Drago's Store. Then everybody that was going to McKinley, going downtown, would get on the bus there and ride down the round, ride to McKinley. Because you couldn't go to Southern Lab. If your parents didn't wake up there, you, you didn't know somebody real good, didn't wake up there, I'll recommend you. You couldn't go. And, and so now that the color bar was still in play. The color bar was in play and very good in play. Yes, okay. sir. What do you mean very good in play? Well, they didn't allow you. Even the white city buses didn't come up here nowhere at that time. But even if you was downtown in the city area and you get on a city bus to go out to McKinley, you had to sit into the back of the bus. Even if there was nobody in the front, no whites in the front of the bus at all, the black people got on the city bus in Baton Rouge, you had to go all the way to the back. And if all the seats were filled in the back, you had to stand up and hold on to whatever you could to get that. And then if there was too many on there, they wouldn't pick you up. You have to wait for the next bus. And yet you had a lot of seats in the front. Empty. With, empty with maybe one or two whites sitting on the, on the bench, but they didn't allow the blacks to do that. And we didn't have any black bus drivers on city bus at that time. I was in the, in the late 60s and 70s. All the thing you had was white drivers. Didn't have a black nowhere driving a city bus like they do now. They got we got ninety percent, eighty percent of the uh, black bus drivers down. That cat got about seventy, eighty percent of black bus drivers. Right, mm -hmm. and about 90 percent of us are, are the ones who ride. Who rides the bus? That's it. That's it. Now, now you had to, you know, yeah. you and the people who live outside of the Scotlandville, but you could live in with Zachary. Well, Chaneyville, Port Hudson, Port Hudson, Clinton, anywhere. You honestly that you get to now, school. But now, how, but how many of you are from this area that you remember was going to McKinley High? Well, at that time, I don't think but three that I can remember now. There was only about three of us that went to McKinley. 
Oh. And I, my my friends, they were my classmates and my schoolmates, and they both are dead now. All of them. You remember, who, you remember who they were? Uh, one was uh, uh, Juan Tilla. I call we call him Juan Tilla. Okay. Uh, Can't and, remember the real name. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan Riley. Alan Riley. Alan. One was Alan Riley, <laughs> one of my uh, yeah. very good close friends, and uh, P. L. George. Okay, so where, where the females was on, was that? Well, we didn't have any girls at that time. We had to catch up with our girls, you know. We catch them at McKinley. We, <laughs> we caught them at McKinley. <laughs> 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 them guys in, North, in South Baton Rouge, they want y'all mess with their gals. Oh, no, they did, they did not. I don't know how you know it, but they <laughs> Well, they had the gangs. At, at that time, you had different gangs at McKinley. You had so y'all had gangs back then? Oh, they had gangs back then. I you don't had be the saying that like Easy that. town <laughs> game and the... Backtown games and uh, the there were three sets of games down there, okay. and if you didn't if you if you if you didn't agree to what they come up with, you was gonna get beat up. I I'm gonna say this right quick. Okay. One night at McKinley, we had a we had a no no it wasn't a record it was a, a dance, uh, a very nice dance, for the you know for the high school high, high school student, and. Uh, my friend Wanti, who I'm talking about now, yeah, Wanti, Richard Davis, Richard Davis. We was there, and Alan Rod, we was there at school, and uh, I was a very popular little fella myself at that time. I don't know why, but I was. What made you popular? I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. Hold on, hold on. Let me make it this straight. Popular among the girls. Yeah, among the girls. Yeah, among the girls. Yeah. But what happened? Let me tell you this. Let me go further. But what happened? We had a dance that night. Mr. Jackson was our was the principal at McKinley at that time. You remember Mr. Jackson from off of what was Mr. Jackson? When you look on Harden Boulevard, what is uh, I, I can't well, I don't know that's his okay, name right. It may come to me before we. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we had a dance that night, and so what we done? I came. We came out and took a break from the ball, from the little you know the room while we were dancing. That Wanti had a white suit. I never forget. He had a white <laughs> suit on that night, and he was. But a frisky little young fellow. Uh, well, he, could he, dance? He, he danced, yeah. Oh, okay. So then. when he came out, there was a bunch of boys outside standing up, and they challenged him about all of his dancing, what he was doing. And so he answered them back. And so when they answered them back, then they started talking to him again, and they flew around and come up there and grabbed him and started beating on him. And as close of friends as we were at that time, I stood there and didn't do nothing. Because if they, if I had to say anything, they would have done the same thing to me. So when we got when they got through beating him, we took him back in, got all this white clothes all dirty. So we took him up, went on back in, and so James Harris' bus was sitting on the side of McKinley Street, right in front of that cafe. So we took him onto the bus and sat him on the bus, and we stayed there until the dance was over. Yo, let the man get beat up. We let them get beat up and didn't do nothing about it. They go sit him on the bus, and then you just sit him on the bus. Sit him on the bus, yeah. Cause we didn't want no more fight. See, at McKinley at that time, they had gangs. Okay. You had the gang from Easy Town, the gang from uh, another part of town, and uh, from the bottom. From the bottom, and then we had another gang. What part of town? Easy town and out there by Capital High School. Well, it had three gangs. Okay. And you had to be very careful what gang you got tied up with. And mm. if you did, you just you was gonna get beat up. And even at the buses, when the buses got ready to leave from out there on the on the night of the dance, the people the guys, these different gangs would be throwing rocks, it's coming back to Scotlandville, you know. 
but they be throwing rocks and bricks and everything else that they could get to throw at the buses. At the bus. At the bus, right, because they knew some of us was on there. Did, did Wanti go back to the dance after, uh, later on? No, because he got he was all dated up after his clothes. No, but he did like months, weeks later. Oh yeah, to... yeah, weeks later. Yeah, he came over because we always in school together. Oh, yeah, we come over back and we stayed in our place. <laughs> we didn't bother them. We didn't bother nobody. We stayed in our did place. Did you yeah. have sports there? Yeah, at that time they had a little sports. It wasn't much as it is. Well, later up in the years they had more things because Mr. Martin from Baker was a carpenter uh, workshop. He was over the workshop. And he had a lot of little activities because he taught boys how to do carpenter work and all of that. Even my, the guy who built this house here that I'm in now, Freddie Woods, uh, he took carpenter under Mr. Martin. Okay. And he wound up being one of the best carpenters around here in, in the Scotlandville, Baton Rouge area. Not just the Scotlandville area, but around the Baton Rouge area. And they, and they don't really teach those type of skills no, no more. Which no, really, no, they don't. Put a lot of young men, young men, in, you know, and teach them skill levels where right. they can get jobs and, and get jobs. simple things like that. And do things for themselves yeah, without having themselves. to go to, you know, go get hired by somebody. They could do things themselves and manage their own, your know, own, own uh, income and all of that. Now let me, let me, well, I'll give you a few more things there. Uh, I'm a, well, we're gonna skip some things right now because I'm gonna come to the political part of. Of okay, life, because okay. so at that time I got married in 1948. So how, I was how, a young man, young man. How, how old were you when you got married? I was 18 years old when I got so married. How long you been married now? I've been married 74 years. <laughs> oh Lord! 74 years. That's seven out of all three months seven. from now, be 75 years. My marriage, we, we, we've been married. But we got ma we got married in 1948. 74 years. Yeah, 75 in June. Okay. Uh, and after getting married, well, we. You know, we both went to school. We both went to McKinley. And then after we finished up in McKinley, we went to Southern University. And then my wife went to LSU. So she got her master's degrees at LSU. Did she got a master's degree in LSU? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. What got year a master's was that? In 1970. Oh, the 70s. Okay. Early 70s. In early 70s, yeah. And then I went to <laughs> Southern. I entered Southern University, and I was taking courses there, and then I wound up getting a job. I'm, I'm skipping, I'm skipping okay. some stuff. I wound up getting a job at, at, a, at a chemical plant, Copalamon. Copalamon okay. plant right down the scenic highway. Then after getting a job there, I worked as a laborer for a couple of years. Then I was just disinterested in being a laborer because I wanted to be something else other than just a laborer. So I started some uh, radical stuff around the plant with different people around that because I didn't like the idea of what I was doing. I had never done no labor work in my life. I had always been a salesman, a cosmetic salesman, a fence salesman, and all like that. Then when I went into Copalamo as a, as a labor, all I had to do, all I done was labor work. That was going in, you know, cleaning up and going in the tanks and all of that kind of stuff. So I kind of got tired of that. Then I started putting in for some better jobs, like a lab technician or a forklift operator and all of that. And at that time, they didn't have any black. They didn't have a black lab technician nowhere at Copal and all the labs they had, they had three labs. But they didn't have a black nowhere, none of them. They didn't hire blacks. Then I kept asking for another job other than what I had because I didn't like what I was, a laborer. I didn't like the idea of being a laborer and doing all labor work. That's digging in ditches when you had something to be dug, you had to do that. And anything that was terrible to be done, the blacks had to do it. So I tried to put in for a job as a lab technician. I couldn't get that. 
I put in a job as a truck driver, which hauled the garbage out of that to the dump. All you do is go there and pick up and go to the dump, come back. Then it wasn't an easy job, just driving the truck. I couldn't get that. I tried to get a job driving the forklift. And when I went to Copalma in 1963, that's what I went there driving the forklift from the company that I was working for. And they told me I couldn't drive a forklift. So I still mess around with the labor. And finally, uh, I come up with some things that they didn't like from a black person, you know, uh, how they just don't let no blacks get none of these positions around here. And I left and went, Eddie Barnes, a good friend of mine, live up at Zachary there, and we own the fence company. We own the fence company together. But anyway, we left on vacation together. His wife and my wife went to Mexico. And so when we came back from Mexico, I had a call at the house for me to report to the research department. And uh, so when I went back to the plant, instead of going back into my labor job, I went to the research lab. And so they had, for some reason, I had put in for the application everywhere over there. Okay. So when I went back to work that, that morning, they sent me over to the research department, which was the highest lab at Copolymer. And they, put, they hired me as a lab technician. So I started working as a lab technician, and the reason why I started working as a lab technician is because it was a good job. It was a very important job. But I didn't have any lab experience, but they was going to teach me. So instead of me going on letting them teach me what they were going to teach me, which they did, I decided to go back. To, I was at Southern anyway, so I stopped taking all the courses that I was taking and stopped taking lab and lec courses at Southern University. And I went through all of that. I took all of that, and then after a while, I got to be a good lab technician at Southern, I mean, at Copalo. So I worked in the lab department, and the white boys got hot with me because a bunch of them had put in for the same job that, they, that I got, and they didn't get hired, and so they filed a complaint against me as a black man because they had put in for that job, and they didn't, they couldn't, they didn't get it. They didn't pass the so-called test. And uh, so, but I had the job. So therefore, they had to disqualify me to put one of them into that place. So I had to accept it as a black man. I had to accept that, which I did. I had another choice. Now they, they gave you a job in the lab. Gave me a job in the lab. And you've been contesting for a couple of years. For a couple of years. But now, how long you were there at, in the lab before they? I was there. I went there in 1963. I guess it was about 65 or 66, something like that. So they, they would not let you rest in that position. Right. Would let me rest. So they got me out of the position, and I was in the union. So what happened, they hired one of the fellows that had put in for the job. And so with my union, I was in the union. So what other words, what happened, they fooled around. The guy had done something in the lab that they didn't like, you know, working with the chemicals and stuff. And so they laid him off. And so when they laid him off, they claimed they was getting next, the next highest rated person that had qualified for that job ended the job, and that was me, they say. So they put me back into that lab. So I worked there from there for the last three or four or five years. Then I got switched to the biggest lab at Copalum up in the front, that building right now on Scenic Highway, where Exxon on. I worked, I transferred me from back there up to that lab, the research lab. Now, now what, did, what exactly did you do in the lab? I run chemicals. I've done, I've tested all kinds of chemicals, rubble, all, all kinds of chemicals, anything that 
dealt with the chemical plant back in the back and other out of town as well. That was my job to test. Oh, there was eight of us, ten of us. It was six blacks and six whites. And I was the, super, I was the steward over those 12, people, 10 people. I had five black folks like me and you to deal with and five white folks to deal with. And you know how it is to deal with your own people sometimes. So, but anyway, we had, a, we had a lovely time, a hell of a time sometime, but we had a nice time. So I worked up there for the last, well, up until, well, until 29 years. I made 29 years up there. And when I left in, I left in 62, 1962, I left, and I could have stayed there longer, but I had asked the Lord to let me make 55 years. At 55, I wanted to come out. But I didn't do what, the, what I asked the Lord to do, so I went back to the Lord and asked him to let me stay there until I was 62. I could have got a little bit more Social Security. So I stayed there until I was 62, and then uh, I retired at 62, June 19, 1962. 1962? Yeah, 1962. And I left there, my wife and I left there, and we got there on June the 19th. We took a flight to Hong Kong, China. I was with the Lions Club, and I went there as a, as a representative for the Lions, Battery Lions Club. And I went to Hong Kong, China, and spent eight days in, in Hong Kong. Well, that must have been a wonderful trip. It was that? one of the best trips I'd ever now, had. Now, why Hong Kong? Well, that's why the International Convention was oh, being right, held. Yeah and Hong Kong, and I was selected as a delegate from Baton Rouge to go to Hong Kong, you know, to represent the Lions Club. So that's okay. where I went. That's one story. Okay, now, now you, be, you also became the state uh, justice of the peace. Right, I was, yeah. So, so, you, so in other words, now you, 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 like, you, you enjoyed getting involved. Oh yeah, I get involved. With the community. Yeah, so, with the community. So what made you decide to run for? Got you, that's, one I, that's the next one I want to give you, and then we, uh, we got time here. Okay. The reason why I ran for Justice of the Peace, because I worked with Richard Tunley, Jewel Newman, and Press Robinson. We all was in the same group together, Scottsdale Area Advisory Council. Richard Tunley wasn't well known in Baton Rouge, nowhere in the area that he's running in District 63, and I was, because I'm the Baptist. I went to a lot of the Baptist church, and my dad was a preacher, and I knew a lot of the ministers. What was your dad's name? My dad was named Reverend Allen, Willie Allen. And what's your mom's name? Mom's name Bertha Allen. But uh, I was very well known around the community, Zachary Allison and Podatson in, uh, you know, in Scotlandville. So we introduced, had, we had to introduce Richard Turner to the people around here. So I went to a lot of the churches and had him to go with me and introduce him to different churches. I'm going to try to cut it short. And so finally he got to be known because he was running for state representative. So he won the position as state representative, yeah. And so then after that, then we decided to run a black for councilman. And so we, between Press Robinson, Jewel Newman, me, and, and a couple of other guys that was in our organization, decided who we was going to run for councilman. I was going to run. But Mr. Richard Tunney, supposed he was, since he was the president of the organization, he chose, let's let Jewel Newman run. Okay. okay. So we chose, we let Jewel Newman win. I let it went on like that. We let Jewel Newman win. And he didn't wasn't known to too many people on the other services. Out there on Scenic Highway, right by... Mount Pilgrim Church, right there in the Rosemont. So we got him kind of known, and I went around with him, introduced him to churches and places and people and all of that, and he got elected. Then after that, Kip Holder and I decided, then, then Jewel ran for one year, one term, then he decided to run for state representative because Tunde was going up for Senate. So Kip Holder, Jewel Newman, and myself decided to run for state representative. 
we all got lost in the shuffle. She got it over there now. <laughs> but Jewel, uh, uh, Kip and I lost out. And so, Jew uh, beat the both of us. Oh, okay. So, okay. So how did Kip come and play with y'all? Okay. Y'all young folks? Well, it was, it was, well, we all was the same age. It's about, you know, Kip about right along with me now, uh, Cole right behind me. But anyway, we all, we all was in the same organization. Okay. Bascalville Area Advisory okay. Council. Yeah. We had put some younger people and older people. So, what we done after Jewel won, so we decided four years later, we was going to get that seat, one of us. And so four, <laughs> four years later, Kip decided to run again. So Kip and I got together and we talked about it. I said, no, buddy, I'm not going to run no more. You go ahead and run. I'll help you. So uh, he's going to beat Jewel. So he did. He ran. And he, he, he won. And so after that. Skip, we, Kip became a state representative. Yeah, for a while. Okay. Uh -huh. So after that, uh, I decided to run for the justice. I, then all this come to the justice of the peace. I decided to run for the Justice of the Peace. And the reason why I decided to run for the Justice of the Peace of all two, District 3, is I had a house that I had just, had just built this house. We were in this house. And I had an extra house where I had just moved from off on Fraternity Street. And it was empty. And a friend of mine, daddy died up in Alston, Reverend Albert Patton. And his son lived in California. So his son came home to his funeral. And after he got to his funeral, then he decided that he was going to stay in Baton Rouge. He wasn't going back to California. And somebody told him that I had a house to rent. And uh, so, therefore, I, he come to me and talked to me about it. Told me his dad is dead, and I knew that because I went to the funeral. And he's going to stay in Baton Rouge around the rest of his family. Okay, fine. Do you have any children? No, I don't have no children. Henry, all my children is out in California. So I let him have to my, rent my house on Fraternity Street. About a month or two months after that, he had about eight or ten children in the house, look like. And, uh, but he didn't have none from the beginning when he started to rent, when he decided they wanted to rent out. So I told him, and it, he didn't pay no rent because he wasn't working nowhere. I was waiting until he get a job to start paying his rent. So finally, yeah. So finally he got a job, and after getting a job, he still didn't want to pay his rent. So after three months, I told him, either you're going to have to pay or you're going to have to move. And so he chose not to move, and he chose not to pay. So the, we had a justice of the peace at that time, which had been in for 45 years, a white brother, out, down, out on Charon Hill. And so what I'd done, I had no other choice but to go out there to him and file an eviction notice against my friend. And so after that, he saved, it, saved him, and uh, he didn't move. So I went back to him again and filed a, a court order against him. So he issued a court order. Then the constable came and set his furniture outdoors. They moved, they moved, moved. They, they moved him out. Then after moving him out, he took and took a mall or a hammer, whatever it was, and went through my house and just tore my house up inside. Then after he tanned it up so much inside, then I had to get it redone all over again to rent to get the rent out again. And so at that time, it hurt me so bad that the justice of the peace had to come and set my good friend outdoors. And I knew him so well. So I decided to run for the justice peace myself. I couldn't get Tunley, couldn't get Jewel and them to work with me, to endorse me or do that. They told me no. The constable for the, the constable for the justice peace was giving them a cow. <laughs> a cow to a barbecue for Jewel Newman. Now listen to this well now for Jewel Newman and Richard Tunley and them election.
So they couldn't that, support me, and I had worked with them like that, hell. That, that, that's your that's your that's, that's your my organization. That's my group. They refused to support me as justice. That, 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 that group was again. Scotlandville Area Advisory Council. I, I'll say it three times. Scotlandville Area Advisory Council. <laughs> Richard Tunley was the Richard Tunley was the chairman. And Press Robinson, all of us was in there. We all was in there at, at that particular now, now, time. Now you've been supporting them all this I've time. supported them all, both of all bring, bring them to, to churches, get the preachers. Preachers and everybody, let them come in and talk them. and expose them like I don't know what. Nobody so, well, really but, knew. But why would it, why did, now, there had to be more than a, a, a heifer involved. Well, they, they, they gave them a cow. Now, what kind of cow it was, I don't know. He said that they was going to have a cow. The constable was giving them a cow to barbecue for Richard Tundin, Jew Numbers election, re-election. So they chose to to, to uh, not support me so they could get that cow to barbecue. You know, so they got the cow, I guess they did. But anyway, so I decided to go for myself. I said, well, I'm well known enough to go for myself. So I decided to run for the Justice of Peace, went down there and read it, uh, qualified to run for the Justice of Peace, came out in the paper, and they never, never did. So you said, I'm going to beat these cows. I'm going to beat these niggas. All I said, you, I'm sorry for saying what I say, but that's... <laughs> You can take out what you want to take out of it. But I said, I'm going to beat these jokers. So I started, I started my campaign. I started the campaign. And I campaigned at uh, all the places that I took them. I went there myself. Went back to, them and, you know, to these different churches, country churches, black churches. And I talked and, uh, you know, and, and introduced myself and talked about me and all this and that. And uh, so... That went on through that particular election. I had two whites ran for the same thing, two whites and one black. I was the only black. I was in 1973, coming up to 74. So the first primary, the first one of the whites lost out. And that left nobody in the race but me and the 45-year-old, 45-year. Uh, oh, year. yeah, he, he had been there for 45 had years. Had been there 45 what, what years. What was his name again? George Fleming. George, uh, Fleming's. Okay. George Fleming. Everybody just called him George Fleming. He had been there 45 years, and nobody had never beat him. White, uh, no black had never ran, right. but no white had never beat him. They had ran, but they had never, nobody never won over him. So I ran against him. So he and I was in the runoff. So I still didn't get help from my, my, my political group, but I got so much help from other people around the, the area, right? in my area, that I, that I was representing, District 3, which is, uh, it meant from the Airline Highway, all the uh, banks and all that, all of Zion City at that time, all of Zion City, all of Baker, all around there was a big district at that time. So I went on all these areas and talked to people, and I had a lot of friends. Went to churches and talked to them. Talked to a lot of preachers, and uh, and you know, because I knew a lot of the ministers anyway, because I would always visit the church. My wife and I would be going to churches, different churches. We Baptist folks, so we went to a lot of the churches, and a lot of people knew us. And so when election time come, well, my wife then put on. She got a group of girls, ladies, her mama. And a lot of other ladies to work for me, you know, in my behalf. They built up, and her mom and all of them used to cook big dinners. Her dad was my campaign manager. Oh, her dad was a, who, who was your campaign manager? Percy, Percy Jackson. <laughs> okay, Percy Jackson, her, her father, okay, was my campaign manager and my treasurer, too. Oh, so, he kept the money, too. He kept the money. Uh, oh, yeah, no, so. y'all two, two peas in the pot, right? So, uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, we, uh, we, 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 we done that, and then so the election night, I suppose that lost. Came out about 10, 30, 11 o'clock that night that Henry had that lost. And there were so many people so glad that I had lost, well, like them, you know, turning them. 
But when the paper came out that morning, the paper came out with big writing. Henry Allen, the Justice of the Peace of War II, District 3. He, out, out, he was outvoted by, voted uh, Joyce Clement out of office. And I was a justice. I got elected in 1974. You beat a white man. I beat a white man. That's right. I beat been a white man. Been, been there for 45 years. He didn't like it either. He didn't like it well for fig. I went out after I got in and got in, got went down city, down the town, and got in, got my, you know, my, sworn, my in. sworn in and all that. I set up a date with him to go visit him because I wanted to know what what did he have on on the panel that he had not completed because that was going to be my job to complete it. So I set up an appointment with him and went out there and sat and talked to him. And so, so he did work with he you? He did work with me. So he gave me a smooth transition. A smooth, very smooth transition. Okay. Then he, after all of that, then he, when I left that evening from his house, he said, well, uh, George Allen, anything I can do for you, feel free to come ask me. Yeah, I said, well, I will, George Fleming. I appreciate that to the highest. And I come on back here and start doing my stuff now. On the top wall, let me go. We'll get on something. No, no, yeah, I want to ask about. Okay. Now, 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 what about your partners, your organization, the Scott Lavia? I didn't give a fig about them then. <laughs> I didn't. I'm gonna be frank. <laughs> I knew them. I knew them still. They well, still they, was my but friend. They, but they didn't come out as. as no. All of them come here is is, is uh, uh what is his name, the hip hop doctor daddy. What's his name? No. Well, did you live right uh, down doc, the street? Doc. Uh, Jack. Uh, Whitfield, yeah. Whitfield, the only one come by, yeah. He was with us. He was in the organization, too. But he's the only one came by you the, the night o- I was The only one. The one that came by you the night that I was All them years you've been working with All them years that I've been working with That's right. That's facts. I'll go to heaven and tell you that. But, uh, you know, then from there, and get we finished up with this right now. From there, what I've done, I'm, I'm going into the educational part of it now. See, I had never been a lawyer. I wasn't a lawyer. You don't have to be a lawyer to be a justice of the peace. Right. But you got to know, you got to have birth. But you, you, know, look, you got to know the law. You, you got, got to know the law. law. Okay. got to know the law. So to make sure that what I was about to do, I wanted some knowledge of what I was about to go into. So what I'd done at that time, I was in school at Southern, but I dropped all other classes that I had, and I took up business law. Oh, That's oh, my oh. book down there. Now, now you've been stuff. taking class for years. You, yeah. You, you ever yeah. graduated anything? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. I don't worry about it now. I ain't, I'm 93 years old now, shoot. <laughs> I had 24 more hours to go. 20 hours to go right now. I could go, then I, you know. So I went to school, went back to LSU, I mean to Southern, and I took up business law. And, uh, and I, I, I didn't say finished business law, but I went to business law and I bought me a business law book. And that's what I get back there in my office now up on the shelf. And I went to, went, you know, start studying that book. And I was one of the top judges in the, in the parish. So you, 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 I mean, you, Attorney General William Gus was the, oh, William Gus, William Gus right, was yeah. the Attorney General at that time. Okay. And they had classes all over the state. And I would go to all the classes. I went to every, every, every year they would have a seminar for Justice of the Peace. Then I got to the point where the Attorney General would appoint me to conduct some of the seminars for him. So now, now, now tell us, what, what is the re- job or responsibility of a Justice of the okay, Peace? Okay, the, the responsibility of the Justice of the Peace, which is small claim court judge. I was a judge and everything that's outside of the city, outside of the city, and all of this was outside of the city at that particular time. Everything from the airline, highway, downtown was in the city. Everything back on this way, 
up to Baker was outside the city. So all that was my area to represent. Zion Out, City. Outside the city. Outside the city. Uh, outside the city limits. Outside the limits, yeah. Road, I, yeah, that was my job. I had to represent all of these these areas. Anybody had a problem in any of these areas, say Zion City, uh, Banks, Scotlandville, Baker, all in the avenues and all that. Everybody had a problem there. They had to come to me. So anything like on the $5,000? Anything on the $5,000. They could mm -hmm. file a suit. If, for instance, you get a refrigerator, and you pay $100 on it, and you owe $400, you don't pay it, they could come to my code and file a suit against you for that $400 plus the cost of code. So now I got a question there. Did, okay. uh, did Jude Newman or Richard Turner them had to come to you? <laughs> no, they never did. <laughs> they were scared to come to me. <laughs> They knew better to come to. They knew better to come to the judge. But you, but you go. You a fair man. I was a fair man. That's right. So you go do what you had to do. I do what I had to do. But if they had come, I they had to go through the same scrutiny that anybody else would have had to go through. It was no, it was no deals. Wasn't no deals. Don't come knock on my door. No, because you had to do that. If you didn't, if you didn't perform your duty. You As the justice peace, you liable. You you can lose your your commission. I could lose my commission. I had a commission, and I had to follow the commission. And you took that serious. I took it very serious. Yeah, yes, sir. I used to marry people. I married over three hundred people. In the Scotlandville area. In Sc well, all around in the Scotlandville area, and this in the War Two District Three. See, I had my district didn't go outside. I couldn't go outside of my district, which I did do sometimes oh, to marry okay. somebody. But I couldn't go out there and perform a ceremony like Gonzalez or anyone unless, in, you know, unless they come into East Baton Rouge Parish, get their license, come to me with two witnesses, then I can marry them, yeah, and so, send them all back to Gonzalez. So, so now you basically running Scotlandville. I was running Scotlandville. <laughs> yes, sir. I was running Scotlandville. So you the man. I was the man. <laughs> Let me tell you another little quick story. <laughs> okay, then you can ask me something <laughs> if you want. Let me give you, I'm going to give you just one little case that I had. That was a very serious case because I've had many of them. But I had a case one night right back there in my office, two white men. One had been on vacation with his children and his family, and the other one stayed home. They have both had children, boys. And the boys had built uh, in a tree house right by, you know, in between the two families. They had built a, a, a little tree house up in the, up in the trees. And they would go up there and play at night or day and all like that. So anyway, one of the families left went on vacation. And when they went on vacation, when they got back, his neighbor's children had gone up in the treehouse with some old children that had came to visit them. And the treehouse had, the, the, the house that they had up in the tree had fell out and right on the man's fence. And they tore down about 20 some feet of his, messed up about 20 feet of his fence. And so when the guy got back, then he told him about it, but he, he told him to fix his fence, so he refused to fix it. He said that's between, you know, him, if it's his fence. He wasn't going to do nothing about it. So the guy filed a suit against him, which he had to come to my coat. I was out there back off a of, of plank road. So anyway, they came to coat, and uh, so I set a date for him to meet. So they both met. My constable was here with his gun on him. I had a white constable, okay. and he kept his gun everywhere he go. But anyway, I had him here when they got here. So they both came in. They sat back there in the office there, and we talked about it. When they came to the house? Oh, yeah, they had to come here. My oh, office okay. is back there in the right, back. Yeah, they had to come here. So they came to court. And so the guy told them he wasn't going to pay for it. And so they left. I dismissed court, and they both walked out of here. And uh, so the man that 
filed a suit, he came back about 30 minutes later and told me, said, Judge Allen, I want to file a judgment against him. I said, okay, that's going to be $20. So he paid us $20, and I said, I'll write it up and send it, send it to his job where he worked at, file a judgment against him. So, okay, so, okay, that was fine. Then he left. He wasn't gone over 35 minutes before the other white guy came back. And he wanted to know, say, Judge, I apologize for the way I acted. He said, how much was that, how much did it cost to fix that man's fence? I think it was around 300 and some dollars. So he went in his wallet and pulled out three $100 bills and some change, and he paid for it. He said, I apologize for the way I acted. I said, okay. Then he left. Then when he left, then I called the other man who had filed a suit. I told him, I said, now you can come over here anytime you want and pick up your money, because I got your money for your fence. That's a pretty great result. Pretty great result. See, and I won, the, I won in 1974 and I, I, as Justice of the Peace, and I served from 1974 to 1983. Okay, so and out of that, I, I, I married over, well, I said approximately 300 people or so. And, uh, you you know, ever had any shotgun weddings at the Yes, sir. I didn't have a shotgun wedding, but I had some heart condition wedding. I'm going to give you one of them, and then I'll stop. <laughs> right up in that living room at the front of my house, All right. I had a call that come to me and I wanted, uh, wanted to get, my lady wanted to get married. And so uh, I said, okay. And she said, Mr. Judge Allen, I need to get married in the morning. I said, okay. I said, why is it in the morning? She said, well, my husband got to go to the hospital. He's having an operation, he's having a heart operation. And, he said, and the doctor wanted him at the hospital for seven o'clock in the morning. I said, is that right? Said, yeah. And said, now we wants to get married before he go to the hospital. I said, all right, okay. I said, well, if you can get on here around 5, 5.30 and bring two witnesses, I said, I'll, I'll get up and I'll marry you all off before he go to the hospital. So she did. She came down here, came here at, uh, uh, at, at, at uh, five, about 5.30 or 6 o'clock that morning, dressed, because when you go in my living room, you had to have a coat and tie on, you know, put a suit and tie on, oh, that's okay. it. So anyway, we got up in the living room there, and we, uh, we, we, we ma I married them four, six o'clock that morning. It's daylight in the morning, just about. I married them and got all the license signed, and I kept everything myself because I take it down to the courthouse myself. They went to the doc, went to the hospital. She's on the way taking him to the hospital. He went to the hospital. And when he got to the hospital, the doctor who was supposed to do the surgery canceled the surgery that morning because the doctor had an emergency somewhere else and he didn't get he uh, didn't get married i mean he, he didn't get didn't get operated on so he didn't live he didn't live he died but she got married before he died but he didn't have that heart the heart surgery so mm -hmm. whether it was whether how good whether, whether she benefited from it or not i don't know and everybody want to say that she's married because she'd figure he's going to die anyway. <laughs> but, but anyway, <laughs> he, your business, it wasn't yeah. none of my business. Uh, uh, two, two grown folks come to you. Two grown folks come to me. In, in, and, in, mental, in the right mental capacity. In the right capacity and the proper license. Yeah, they had the license because I had to sign every license that they bring and put my seal on it. And take, I took them all to the courthouse myself. I didn't okay. let nobody take nothing down to the courthouse. I went. I was, they was, I was well known down there. When they see Judge Allen coming in, everybody respected me down at the courthouse, downstairs. Right, you know so, what I said? Yeah, because you handled your business. I handled right? my business, yes, sir. 
No, there's a lot of stuff that we done. We done. Uh, I done. Uh, you know, as 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 a small claim code judge, and, uh, and I'm gonna cut just a few up. At one time, black folks that had older black folks, I'll put it that way, that had property to rent. They would rent their houses to anybody who wanted to rent them if they would pay their rent on time. Then when they get to the point where they didn't pay that rent like, like I was telling you about the boy that I let in my house, they asked them to move. And if they didn't move, they didn't know what else to do but go get a lawyer. Then they talk to a lawyer, then all the lawyer gonna do, tell the lawyer what they want, then the lawyer gonna write them a letter and gonna charge them $35 to write a letter to send to your house asking you to vacate that property. Then you refuse to do that. Then they go back, the lady go back and call the lawyer again. They ain't moved yet. <laughs> okay, so then they have to go back and write another letter to uh, issue a court order for them. That's another $35 that they got to pay the lawyer. And these poor, I say poor old black, but these are black folk, not knowing. So what I done, I started setting up a school. Like, it wasn't a schoolhouse, but that's setting up. I used to, I, yeah, I, I used to get a group of many older ladies and men to, together and meet me at a certain place. You know, we set up a house somewhere where I could meet them at. Then I started talking to them about their rental property, how they could do without paying all this money to get a lawyer to get somebody out of their house that uh, you're renting and they won't do it. You paid found $70 to get a lawyer to do it and all the lawyer gonna do is take it to the Justice of Peace. I said, now what I want y'all to start doing is writing a letter to whoever's in your property, on your property, write a letter and go to the post office and get it certified and let them mail it to John Doe. Then they're going to sign that letter when they get ready to pick up that mail, and they're going to mail it back to you. All you've paid is $0.25 cent stamp instead of the $35 letter. Then when they, if they don't move out by the time you give them five days or five, ten days or whatever day you give them, they don't move out then, then you write them another letter if you have to, Another five, another 25 cents for a stamp. Then if they don't move, they got to sign it. Then you bring it to me. Bring it to me, your justice of the peace. Then I'll take it from there. And all you have to pay me is $10. Then I'll file, I'll file an eviction suit against them. And save you a lot of money. Save you a lot of money. Because you already lost money on the prep. Yeah, you lost money already, yeah. You done went through that already right. yourself. Right. So why, you know, why pay a lawyer $70 to ask somebody to move out your house and still don't want to move? Then you got to get a court order. I said, you know, pay again to get, your, get the people out of your house, set your stuff out or whatever. So, so they start bringing, you know, start coming. Done what I told them, the ones who I talked to, the ones who listened, they would do that. They would write a letter, send a registered letter to, uh, you know, to John Doe, and John Doe got to sign it to receive it. When John Doe signed that copy, then he's going to be mailed it back to you, then you got it. So you got the information that he got, the information that you want. The lawyer didn't have to send it to him. You could send it yourself. So I had, that's another thing that so, I had classes and, on. And that, you can still do that today. You can do it today. It's easier today now than getting a lawyer. Of course, some people still don't know no better. They'll get a lawyer. But you can do it right today. I could do it right now and send somebody a letter, tell them to move out of my house. If you don't do it in five days, then I'm going to evict you. Then I send them another. Then we've got five days then to get your stuff out. 
And if not, the constable is going to come out there and set your stuff on the street. So it's a lot of education that you do in, in, in political, uh, on the political side of life. Uh, how, now, now, right. how did you know uh, Mr. Percy Square? Percy Jackson? Percy Jackson. Percy well, good. That's a very good question there. I'll tell you that. Well, we, <laughs> we, we met my wife, my wife and uh, Lillian, my wife and Joyce's mother, Percy's wife, was a very close friend. They was in school together. They went to school together. Miss Lillian Jackson, Lillian, uh, uh, well, she Square. went to Jackson, Lillian Square, and Irma Allen Stewart went to school together. And they work with their little girls together, these two little girls. They got another one, not a little little than Joyce, but Paula. But anyway, they worked together for a long time and they cooked together, sewed together, made clothes for these two girls, yeah. Both of them was good seamstress. They made clothes and that's how I, I knew Lillian real well. And then when Lillian got married, so that meant that Percy and I got to be friends too, because he had married one of our good friends, okay. Lillian. So we was got to be just like Four, four, four peepees and four peas in a hook. And he's a good old country boy. He's a good old country boy too, from up the road up there. So we got to be gathered like that, and and uh, and it was just. Uh, yeah, y'all was in a lot of different organizations together. We all was in just about everything. We used to masonic. He was a great mason. He was a great masonic. He was he was up in the up in the high house up there. But uh, so you, me, you was in the mason. I was in the mason. Yeah, I was in the mason with him. But we was in there for together. But I never did go too high. But I stayed as the master mason, and that's all. First I went. Okay. So you didn't have any interest in really moving? Oh, I, well, I, I, I had interest in moving, but I told him if I could master what I had, I'd I, I done good. You know, if I could master that third degree, okay. I'd done good. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to say a little about the Mason now. So we, 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 I was doing good with that. Now what, what, we, what, what lodge y'all was in? Uh, lodge, what, what, Twilight. Twilight Lodge, number seven, eight, one six, uh, one, Twilight one sixty six, right down the street there. Um, I was in St. John at one downtown on third on on uh, North North Acadia, then I demitted from there up here. I was with uh, James A. Taylor Lodge on 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 uh, North Acadia. And it's still there. The building is still there, but I demitted from there up here because when I ran for justice, back to the justice people. When I ran for the justice of the peace, we had a store down in Scotland right there now by Sewell. That was Riggle's drugstore, and Riggle was a white man, and Mr. Henry was a white man, and they loved that the black folks like, like we were kin to them, and anything you wanted to do, you do it. So Mr. Riggle's asked me, why don't I join this lodge up here in Scotlandville and come out of the one downtown, and I refused to do it, and the reason why I refused to do it because I was thinking about what well, I was running for the justice of the peace. And I didn't want somebody to think that I left a large downtown to come up here to join a large in Scotlandville so I could get support from the Scotlandville people. Oh, okay, because I felt that I was well known enough to get support from people, whether they was in Scotland or not. You know, because the whole district was around here would vote, it was going to vote for me, you see. And so I didn't join until after I got elected. And after I got elected, then I joined there. I guess I've been there now about 40 some years now, yeah. Are you still a participant? Yeah, I just ain't got no. I just don't pay my dues on time. No, <laughs> <laughs> whole that ninety-three, you still got to pay dues. Well, I told that you, you. I wish you would let my whisper mouse to know that. I done told him. <laughs> you told him. Look, I done told, told him. him. <laughs> I done told him. After ninety years old, you don't pay no more dues. But I've I've had a lovely time from the time that I've been here. And uh, I'm gonna give you. I'll give you another little run up where I lived that in 1944. 
My mother passed July 20th, 1944. 1944? 1944. Oh, okay. I was a little old young boy, 14 years old. Lived that down in Scotland on Oreo Street. And that was uh, one of the worst times of my life. And my wife and I both had won a trip to North Louisiana to our operation in the school. Her school, she was at Northwestern. She was representing her school at Southern University on campus here. And I was from Magnolia Elementary, Magnolia Elementary School, representing my school on campus. Oh, y'all run a trip at a young age. At a young age. I'm just going to give you that, then we'll okay. be through. So anyway, we both won a trip. And that was in 1944. But uh, we were supposed to go, and well, uh, the week my brother died on at 1020, on July the 20th, 1944. And we were supposed to have been going to Monroe to camp, I think the 20th, 21st or 22nd, but I couldn't go because my mother had just passed, so I couldn't go. I didn't lose my trip, but I couldn't go on my trip. My wife went, but my girlfriend. She went, but I didn't go. So next year, I still represented my school, and I won the trip again, and I went that time. So we all went. She won. She was a smart girl. My wife was a smart lady. Well, you must have been a pretty smart girl. I wasn't bad myself. Then. I wasn't bad. Okay, <laughs> so we both won the trip the next year. And uh, well, I don't know if she went, but I know I went because the girls would go at a different time than the boys okay. would. You know, they had these camps for the boys. You know, what about. the camp was like at that time? Well, it's something like the boy, boy scout camps. You know, they, uh, okay, they, you know, it just, you know, you got big tents out way out in the woods in the, in the, in the area, you know, wooded area, pine, in the piney woods. Just a big, big tent out there. They got people cook for you and all that. It's just, it was a jolly time. You just have fun out there. Take all the children out. They do all different kind of games and things. And, just have fun the whole time you're there. How, Eat. How, how many brothers and sisters you had? I had uh, two sisters and one brother. What was their names? My oldest brother was named Willie Allen Jr. after my daddy. My oldest sister was named Teresa Thomas. Teresa Allen Thomas. One year older than me, one year to date. Both our wife's day January 5th. Mine was January 5th, 1930. Her January 5th, 1929. Okay. But one day, the same day, just like it is with Joyce. Joyce and I both there on the same day. But my sister was one year older than me, just one year, not a day, an hour, not that one year older than me. We both was right together, but she's dead. Then my baby sister is eight years younger than me, but she died, we buried her last Saturday. Oh, so there's nobody but me you. now, yeah, okay. nobody but me now. What now. was her name? Eula Mae Johnson. Eula Mae. Now, I'll give you a joke about Eula Mae. <laughs> Don't do that one. <laughs> okay. okay, let me tell you this. We used to travel a lot, go to New Orleans to the games and a lot of other stuff, my wife and I. Was the Saints game or the Bayou no, Classic? No, well, the Bayou Classic okay. and other things, too. We yeah. just go to New Orleans to the carnival seats and all that. We used to, my wife oh, and I. Okay. And uh, every time we go to New Orleans, we come back through Reserve. My sister lived in Reserve, Louisiana, and I talked about this Saturday gone. And uh, when we come back from New Orleans, we always want to go by and holler at my sister. So we come down off of the interstate. Well, before that time, it wasn't the interstate, it was just 6 to 1 come down in reserve and go down through reserve to look for my, to speak to my sister. And I went in there about four or five times and never did find my sister. So one day we had come from New Orleans, so I said, we're going down in reserve. And I said, I'm going to find my sister today. 
And we rode around in all the little black neighborhoods looking for my sister. And we just, I said, well, don't look like we're going to find her. So she said, well, they got to be here somewhere, Henry. I said, yeah. And so we was outside of my car. And there was some ladies, you know, walking around there. So I said, do anybody around here know where baby's sister live? That's what they call it? Yeah. So the lady said, yeah, baby's sister live right over there. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding. So sure enough, we went right over there. Right, right across the street from where you was parked. Right across the street from where we parked, and that was baby sister. We had been going into reserve about four or five years. You couldn't find couldn't her? Couldn't find her, because her name was Eula May. Nobody knew about that Nobody name. knew about Eula May. Okay. And Hickey, her husband, was named <laughs> Willie Johnson, but everybody called him Hickey. <laughs> so nobody knew baby, nobody knew Eula May or Hickey. If you, tell, if you tell her right now, you may die. Nobody know who you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. But they know it now because on the casket, what did they have on the casket, Terry? Eula May girl. They didn't have you. They didn't have baby sister on it. They had Eula May, but they, 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 whoever done the right on the casket, they put girl on there. They still put baby sister on there. Eula May baby baby girl. Okay, it was supposed to be baby sister. Put him in baby sister. Oh, they got that wrong. I told him we need to do. I saw a show the other night. He need to go there and dig up that castle and put baby sister. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't bother with that. You bother with that I ain't gonna bother with that though. No. But that had to be. Okay. Uh, so at a at a young age, you lost your mom. Yeah, 40, at fourteen. At, at fourteen years of age, you had one younger sister. Right. So how did how did y'all manage? Good, very good question. It's hard for me to say, but we done it. We we managed. My daddy was still living. My dad was working at Exxon, and uh, we we uh, lived through it. You know, he done what he could for us until we all got grown. My brother went to the army, went to the navy, joined the navy early, and that took him out of the picture. And my sister was going to school at Southern. Miss Knox got her up at Southern, and she had a didn't have a college degree at the time, but she started teaching school up in St. Francisville. You know, at that time, back at that time, in the 40s and 45s and 50s, you know, you could teach school out in the country at the, with a college just being going, just in, with, not with a college degree, but without a college degree. Okay. You could go out into the rural area and teach. And so she was, went out there and, and taught and then went to school still at the same time. And finally she got her degree and then she went, I'll be past her school the other day, Dufrock Elementary School. No, Dufrock. She taught, she taught yeah, down there for still about. Still a good school. Yeah, she taught down there for about 10, 15 years before she moved to California. Then she left, went out of California. And that's why she passed in California. So now you end up in the Scotland Via area. Now, why did you take a route coming out of Alice, Alice, Alice. which is right down the street? Mm -hmm. well, why Scotland Via? Why you didn't move somewhere else out of town or? Well, very good question. The reason why I didn't move uh, somewhere else, uh, we stayed in Port Hudson for about a year, my wife and I, but after that I bought a place over here on Fraternity Street, bought a lot. And then after buying a lot and paid for the lot, then I had, well, I was working at, uh, at uh, Dunham and Pugh, tri a tractor company. I bought a lot, then after that they had these, like these Jim Walter houses that were building around at one time. They, I got I got uh, got in touch with them. Well, the supervisors at my job got me lined up with uh, Jim Walter and them, people like Jim Walter and them, and we built a house on my lot on Fraternity Street, which is there now. And uh, of course, I just sold it though. How long did y'all live there? We lived there until 1973. 70, when you got married, 70, 79, what? 78, 69. 69. We we take that until 60, 68. We built this house in 68. Well, we moved in this house in 69. 
So we built, we stayed over there for about 20 or 30 years, 40 years up until we built this house in 69. But you know, that at that time, <clears throat> Scotlandville was a very self-sufficient community. Y'all were very support, all type of business here. Yeah, you, you didn't have to go outside of Scotlandville if you didn't, for anything at that time. What was that like then? Uh, at that time, it was, well, it was normal because you didn't have the kind of transportation that you have now. You know, so therefore, uh, you may not recall, but see, Drago's right down there on the corner of Swan Street. What, 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 was, what is Drago's? Okay, that's a good question. You, I know you travel up and down the Airline Highway, Interstate, mm -hmm. you know, right over there, right by, uh, 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 after you pass Marriott, right across from Marriott Hotel, there's a big restaurant across the street, Drago's. Yeah, Drago's Restaurant. Yeah. Yes. Okay, restaurant. right, that's it. There used to be a Drago's right on the corner of Swan Street. And Drago's had a bar. Listen to this now. Drago's had a bar where all the black folks would go. Drago's had a dry goods store where all of the folks could go and buy shirts, pants, dresses, suits, whatever they wanted. Drago's had a place that, that you could buy material, to, to, like Lee and them used to make dresses and all that. They had a place there where you can go buy material to make clothes, shirts, pants, Crates, dresses, whatever you want to have, they had that all that right there. So you didn't have to go nowhere. Then they had a grocery store, so you could get everything right at Drago's. It was a complete commissary store. You could buy everything. You didn't have to go nowhere else to look for nothing because Drago and them had it right there on the corner. And and it was a restaurant too. No, it wasn't a restroom. Okay. They had well, they, they had a bar room. A bar room. Yeah, a bar room. You could well, they'd make a sandwich for you if you wanted. Okay. But they had a bar room where all the blacks, well, most of the blacks would go in there and drink and, you know, and talk and cut up, drink beer, wine, whiskey, whatever they wanted. And then they cut off, they had a cut off part there. And if you go into the grocery, uh, to the supermarket, you go over there to the- Now, where was that located again? Right there on the corner of Swan Street and Scenic Highway. Right there now. You see that blue and white building up there now? But it was bigger than that because they had a large, uh, they had a large area because they, you know, they've done a lot of stuff. They've done everything. Had all the much you didn't have to go downtown. Nobody would go downtown to buy, buy nothing. Didn't have to because everything's right there on the corner. Now most of the business was owned by who? By white, by Degos. By Degos. Okay, yeah, then. but I so, hate to say it that way, but that's what's owned by the by the, the Italian. So we own a lot of business in Scotland. No, we didn't have a whole lot of business it's like this now. We don't have a whole lot. Well, we got more now than. Yeah, than well, we you had. got more now than you had then. Than had then, yes. What about Maricos? Did you go? Maricos was one of the greatest black black uh, bars that we had in Baton in the Scotlandville area. Oh, Rico right. was great. I, George may have some stuff with it now. Well, I had a, I had a lot of my meetings at Marico. Okay, and that's why I used to take my wife, Rico. Okay. By the way, I was a salesman at one. Well, I was a salesman two times. I was a fence salesman, and I also was a, a cosmetic salesman. And uh, I used to sell cosmetic before I went to work at Copala. Okay. I was selling cosmetic. I had my grip, and uh, I would go all over, all over their parish selling cosmetic. And we had a group of girls right here on Swan Street. Young girls, and they used to wear a lot of makeup, you know, makeup and a lot of rouges and powder and perfume would buy a whole lot for me. And <laughs> so one you night, come, you come up caked up, huh? One night, I'm gonna say this, I ain't gonna say the book. <laughs> one night, I took my wife out. We went down to Marico's, and while we were sitting at the table and ordered a drink, you know, the man brought, you know, brought, brought the drink to us, and, and three of these girls came in. 
and uh, looking good with their short dresses on, their tight dresses on, short dresses on. I was a young man then. I was a young man. And so when they came in, and they was nice children, though. They were very nice. So then when they saw me at the table with my wife, and first thing they house, oh, that a sweet man is. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that sounds like sugar daddy. <laughs> but see, my wife didn't understand. The reason why they called me the sweet man, they, I would buy, they would buy a lot of cosmetic perfume and cologne, powder and lipstick. They would buy, I could sell, I, whenever I go to buy their house, I could look at $25 or $30 worth of Supplies that I was selling. I was a lot back there. And so they called me the sweet man. I don't know if they ever knew my name. <laughs> Everywhere I go, they, they see me and they call me the sweet man. And so when they walked in there that night and called me the sweet man, boy, my wife got mad too. <laughs> the reason why she didn't leave me that night, because they came over and apologized. Oh, apologized okay. to us, to her, that. Miss Allen, the reason why we call Mr. Allen the sweet man because we buy a lot of his stuff. But when we got home that night, oh, Lord. she said, you're going to find you a job. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to find you a job. You're sweet man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started looking for a job. But that's, 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 that's the biggest part of my life, I guess. Uh, no, but tell but, me, like, like, the, like I, I, my dear friend, Mater McDonald, who was a dad named Mr. McDonald, who owned that. Marico. Yeah, Marico's back down, right. And I know. that was, was a, a the, the Southern know, Heights. That was a very classic place. It was a classic place, right. That's, that's, that's a classic it. place that we had in Scotlandville. Didn't, didn't know anybody to go there. Oh, you had to be somebody to go there. To go there. That's it's, right. In Scotlandville. In Scotlandville. See, this all the biggest Scotlandville was. You know, you didn't, you, people look at Marico's like they look at... Uh, well, well, everybody go now to any of these clubs and wrestling thing around you now. But people look at Marico's as if as, as if it was owned by a white man and the black folks couldn't go there. You know, that's what some of the folks look right. at it. Because they figured a bill might have cost you 25 cents at that time. And that was a lot. Dude. That was a lot of money then. Nobody would go. They were paying 10 cents for a bill. Uh, there you go. There you go. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. But see, then McDonald ran a, 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 business, a good, clean business. He didn't. He didn't allow no. If you 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 wasn't going in there with no outlaw stuff, cursing or anything like that, but did he put you out? I knew he was a good friend of mine. I knew him real well. And they had good bands playing. They had good bands, good music. When time, same time, yeah, they had good music. Yeah. Now, now what a few other uh, establishment like that that was going on in the Scotlandville area that you can remember? Uh, six o'clock club right over here. That's why. Yeah, six o'clock club was right on the corner where the service station is. That's why most of the people from uh, Southern would go to the 6 o'clock club of Marico. And then they started a club up in St. Armelie. And then a lot of the Southern University alumni, well, not alumni, because I'm an alumni myself. I, I went too, but I went before I got to be alumni. <laughs> you still, <laughs> but, alumni, uh, yeah, still alumni. You're still a student too. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But uh, a lot of the students from Southern, you know, that's way back. That's back then, then not now, because they go everywhere now. But they would go up to uh, uh, up to uh, They had a club up there. Uh, Theus, well, what, huh? No, not a movie theater. Movie theaters. They had movie theaters here too. No, they, no. Oh yeah, we had movie theater. Yeah, Cooks. Yeah, Cooks Theater down there in Scotland. Yeah, they had, he had a, a good theater there that black folks used to go to. It. Yeah, it was very good. I mean, so y'all were, like say, self-contained here. Right. Had everything at one time, on. we had everything everything we needed. Now, now yeah. what, what happened? What 
change the dynamics of this? I'm going to be frank with you. My thinking, rather, my thinking of Scotlandville, reason why not, because I still have a problem with people bringing industries into the Scotlandville area. You don't want to bring a whole lot of stuff that's destroying the black folks, what they try to do most of the time. And my thing is that people can go all around the country, in Louisiana and Baton Rouge, rather, around and about Baton Rouge, and buy up land, and next thing you know, you got some developers come in and develop some of the most fabulous looking places that there is. And I've told some of the political leaders around here that we, these, some of these developers could come into the Scotlandville area and buy up some property that is deleted now, that is just gone, gone astray, and build us a supermarket here. I've given them an idea right here in Scotlandville, right across from Campbell Memorial Methodist Church, by Jenkins Printing Shop down here. I know you know where that mm -hmm. is. See, all that's deleted property, Sewell Hardware Store, where it was. All that is no good now. You know, nobody's using none of that. You got all that dead property in there all the way back nearly about to the railroad and track. And it's commercial property. It could be, yeah. See, you can, a good developer, if, the, if our senators and representatives get together and, and start dealing, and councilmen as well, dealing with some of the developers around the country, let them come in here and buy up that property there and develop it into an area that people could have somewhere to go. A supermarket I'm talking well, about, well, something I, supermarket. Well, I, I did hear that Councilwoman Shauna uh, Banks, Banks. Are, is working on a project. Matter of fact, her, her, her fight is now is that she's not getting the support from the city. Yeah, from the city, $18,000, $18 million. $18 million. $18 million. They're not getting hardly any of that. You Ain't know? got none of and it. And she done got young men and women to come in the community to start to, to yeah. invest, mm -hmm. to start some projects. And now the money is not flowing up north. Yeah, you know, it's not flowing to North Baton Rouge. That's right. So I, I got to give shout out to to Shadow Banks. Yeah. That she making efforts. She done made get, it to get a grocery grocery store, housing housing up here, because <clears throat> right now if you had, if you attend Southern students, they got to go live. Go get lab, go to district. I mean. Um, South Baton Rouge. Go with well, they got to go if you to go to Southern or LSU. If you can't stay on campus of LSU, you, you, you got to go travel the distance to get, you know, for housing. Right. And uh, same thing in Southern. You know, you, you live way you're in Gonzales. That's right down the highway. But you got to go to Southern University and you got to drive from Gonzales up here. Or you might live over here across the river somewhere. But see, you know, if you had nice housing, you're like, what you call them, build these houses right on the corner of Swan and uh, Southern Avenue, rather, going up on Harden Boulevard. That was nice. But we need more than just that amount of housing in the Scotlandville area to help support the children that is interested in going to Southern University because you don't have enough dormitory space up there for some of them to go. Then if you had some nice housing outside of that area, you still could, uh, people could come and stay and, and, uh, you know, and enjoy themselves. And, and whatever reason, Scotlandville get a bad rap because that's not a whole lot of violence. Things might have increased a little in Scotlandville, but Scotlandville have been a very family-friendly, student-friendly student, uh, environment. Yeah, environment. yeah. So, but some people think it's a lot of violence, a lot of killing, a lot of shooting, yeah. and that don't really happen. That doesn't happen often. It does happen sometimes. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you another thing. My feeling, and I've I've expressed this to other people about Scotlandville. So we don't even know our own history. Then. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. We know our history. But we're not, we're not conversing it on weekly basis, right. daily basis, or yearly basis. 
if we would go through this, because when I got through talking to those people over there at the center, they're all senior citizens. Some things they heard from me that they didn't know anything about it. And never heard this. But so I just told them I little simple and people. And they grew up in the community. Yeah, like Joe Dale Pitt, you know, that uh, uh, Reginald Brown. Now, who you know, you know Reginald Brown, Major, don't you? Major Reginald Major Brown. Major Reginald Brown. Yeah. He was our constable, the first black the constable. First, the first, the first right. black constable that we had. That's my friend. And then we got a lot of, we got a black girl now in this conference. See, people don't Terror, know all of this. Tara. Uh, I don't know whether, I forget her name. Terror, but anyway, Terror, she's going to be mad at me. Tara Williams. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, these are the things that, that 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 we we have to deal with. So, yeah, not, okay, not, not but, knowing our history. Yeah, but I, but I appreciate <laughs> having you here today, and I thank you for joining us in Count Time. And, and this is such a wonderful experience sitting here with you, and just to think about your history, your life, the the father that you are, the man that you are, the husband that you are, and still giving and serving your community. And we appreciate that, and we'd like to say thank you. And you want our living legends, and we welcome you to Count Time. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. There's a lot that could be said, but it may take a couple more hours, a couple more weeks from we'll now. Come, we'll come back then. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being part of Count Time. I appreciate that. I appreciate everything. I appreciate talking to you because it has been a joy to express some of my experience down through the years, and there's still a lot more to come. Uh, we, at one time, Black folks couldn't vote, you know, didn't vote, right. you know. And I was back in the 40s, late 40s, after 48, 49, 50s, up in 50s, 50s, 51, 52, 53, 54. Black folks couldn't vote because the reason why they couldn't vote, very few voted. You know, we used to have a vote at 18, you had to vote. But there was a lot of black folks throughout the country, out, all around the country, around the, in the area, yeah. At one time, you couldn't go downtown and register to vote. You just couldn't go down there. You couldn't go down there. Right. You had to be able to, to vote. You had to be able to figure out your age, the day, how old you are, the day that you vote, your age, and everything in the day. For instance, I could tell you right now, I'm, I'm 93 years old in five months and 16 days or whatever it is. You had to be able to sit down and figure out on paper and the voters in the office where people register to vote. And if you couldn't do that, you didn't register to vote, black folks. And my wife and I went around throughout the country, like, like I tell you, Allison, Scotland, Allison, Zachary, Podatson, and all around. We, were, we, we formed classes that we would go to the churches and announce about we gonna have a class on voter registration, so and so and so time. And all of y'all who are interested in it, we didn't make you come. Everybody who was interested in voting would beat us out at King David Baptist Church at 7 o'clock Monday evening. Then whoever was interested in coming out to learn how. A lot how, of people would show up? Oh, yeah. And so when they come out, then we had, we couldn't do it now, but we had to figure out, we showed them how to figure out their age. You know, if you were born in 1930, you had to figure, put 1930, and then you had to figure out everything there from 1930 up until the day you go down to, to vote. And it had to be that day that you vote that your age had to match up with you from 1930 through all the months and stuff, if it was in December, whatever it was, you had to match up to that date, the day that you go to vote. If, you, if your age didn't figure out to 51 years old and five days and seven hours, whatever it was, you couldn't vote. Couldn't, couldn't register. register. And we used to drive them down there. We used to get go around and gather up people around in Allison and Scotland and Port Hudson and uh, Zachary 
and load them up in our car and take them downtown to vote. When we get on downtown to vote, they wouldn't let us go in with them. They had to, we had to stay outside, put us outside. They had to go in by themselves. So when they went in by themselves, they went in to vote, they had to figure out their age. And if they didn't figure out the age, how old they were, like I'm 93 years old and so many days and so many months now, and whatever date it is, that day that, day that you made, 93 years, five months, and six days. And mostly people didn't have no degree, no, was, was not well educated. Oh, no, they wasn't well educated. Even if they was educated, they still couldn't figure out, because that was a figure that a lot of people couldn't figure. But I don't know, the Lord gave it to us, to my wife and I, and we were able to figure out. And we just done a lot of figuring right here in the house, and then we started going out into the community. Show them how to do it. Show them how to do it. So you, you, you all, you and your wife spent years, years just teaching, teaching that people one, at one course how to register to vote. And that so, means your age. You had to figure out your age so today. Really, you wouldn't teach them how to register to vote. You just teach them about the age. About the age. That's it. Because, well, that was the only way they could vote. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But the, the, that, was a, that was a law that you had to learn, that you had to, had to do, do had, in order to register to vote. In order to register to vote. Right. It ain't like it is now. So, so that one thing, that's all they wanted to know. That's all. That's all. They had to know that but one that, thing. That was just in our community? That was in everybody, the whole community? Well, that was in the black community. So I you, put it you, that way. So you don't even know if it was in other I people. don't know if it was in others or not, but I know. And when we set up a voter registration, they had to affect all blacks. I don't know whether the whites had to go through that or not. But now, uh, now what the percentage of people that y'all took that, took to the voter registration office? Well, it's hard, uh, it's hard to say now because we sometimes we'll have three, four, sometimes two. I mean, but, but if you bring three people, how many would, would pass? Oh, everybody we took down there passed. Oh, so we're no waste of trip, dude. No, no waste of trip. You, no. So, Everybody that we took, when we got through training them, going through the process, and when picked them up to take them down there, they was ready to, they was ready to figure out their age up to the T. Nobody never come back without being a registered voter. And if you wasn't interested in doing it or couldn't do it, you didn't come out to the church to meet us that day to go down there. Well, the people who really didn't feel comfortable, because they figured, well, I can't learn to do that. Yeah. So they didn't go. They didn't go. So no, they, they didn't go. They, they turned, turned away just because of that reason. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. So it was a discouraging thing. It was a discouraging thing. And it's an encouraging thing to ones who accepted the offer. And we were doing it on our own free, free and will, free will in the time. We were just done it itself. It's something that we wanted so to do. So you was not part of an organization. That's just something. Oh, no, one part. That's, that's Henry Normal. 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 That's right. That's it. And see, a lot of people knew us, too, because we used to visit a lot of churches. I mean, that really yeah. connects you to a lot of Right, and we sung in the choir. You know, I sung in the choir at St. John. She did, too. We you sang you sing, too? I used to could. Well, that, that, that's why they call you sweet. Well, no, that's cosmetic. <laughs> that's the cosmetic sound, but that's sweet, man. I don't man, know, I don't know, I don't know. That's sweet hindrance. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it's a lot of things. Maybe one day, sometime later, we might come back and finish talking. Because right, there's a lot that I can say. You, well, know, I know, you, you didn't say it a lot today. I, I, I appreciate it. I thank you for allowing yeah, me so, to come in today. Yeah, it's been a lot that can be said. Don't, don't get mad at me now. No, Dr. Jackson. No, I'm not. Oh, no. Uh, no, indeed. Uh, no, uh, no. All right, well. All right, well, thank you for being part of Countdown. We appreciate having you Thank here you. Thank you very much. If you, Whenever you do it, if you expose this anyway, let me know when you do it so I can have a chance to look at what they, they, I'm they, When they come pick you up, you're going to know what happened. Oh. <laughs>
The mind is free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time Podcast.